Everybody, it's Eugene Driscoll of ValleyND.org. Sorry for that uh, short intro, but I wanted to get right to uh, the point. Uh, it's about 9 a.m. Uh, Wednesday, May 27th. Uh, obviously, the news uh, in the lower Naugatuck Valley in Derby specifically is uh, the search for 23-year-old Yukon senior Peter Manfredonia, who is a suspect in two killings here in Connecticut, one on Friday morning in Willington and one Sunday morning uh, in an apartment on Roosevelt Drive here in Derby. Uh, The medical examiner released new information yesterday saying that the victim in the Derby incident uh, was shot. The cause of death was a, a gunshot wound. So I thought I would take a second to uh, talk to a law enforcement person about uh, this case. One thing that struck me personally, over the past two days, we've had press conferences where it seemed to me the main goal of each press conference was to relay information directly to the suspect, Manfredonia, who was last seen in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, there were messages of support to some extent for him uh, on Monday a attorney representing his family basically said, look, we, uh, we love you. You're, you're supported. Please turn yourself in. Uh, then yesterday up at state police headquarters in Connecticut in Middletown, a Lieutenant said, we know we've talked to your friends, Peter. We've talked to your, your former roommates, uh, your family. We know this is out of character. Uh, please turn yourself in. So this can be brought to a peaceful resolution. So I thought uh, the messages seemed uh, deliberate and carefully worded. So I wanted to talk to someone in law enforcement about what the strategy is uh, there. And part of the reason I I want to do this too is because when I've posted these stories from these press conferences on social media where people can react to them, there's been one or two reactions that are basically like, how does this help the situation? What he's just going to hear this and and give himself up and that's going to be it. So uh, I emailed John Jay School of Criminal Justice uh, down in uh, the Bronx, New York, and they connected me this morning with uh, retired NYPD Detective Sergeant Joseph L. Jackalone. Sorry, that is my uh, phone. I apologize. And I said he's a retired detective sergeant with the NYPD. He is an adjunct professor at uh, John Jay in the Department of Law, Police Science, and Criminal Justice Administration. He's the former executive officer of the 110th Precinct Detective Squad in Queens. He was the commanding officer of the Bronx Cold Case Squad. He was the commanding officer of the Crime Stoppers Unit. He was the executive officer in the Detective Bureau Training Unit. He was the director of the NYPD Homicide School, and he was the recipient of the NYPD Medal for Valor. And uh, he retired in 2012, And he took a few minutes just to talk about uh, this situation with me. Uh, So without further ado, here is Joseph Jackalone, a retired detective sergeant with the NYPD. Thank you.
Hello. Hey, this is Eugene Driscoll calling from the Valley Indy up Hi. in Connecticut. How are you, sir? Good, Gene. How are you? Joining me on the line today is a retired New York City police sergeant, Joe Jackalone. Mr. Jackalone, welcome to the Valley Indy podcast. Thanks for having me. And thanks for coming on, uh, on with no notice at all. And you are the former uh, commander of uh, the Cold Case Squad uh, in the Bronx. Restate your title because I probably just messed that up. Sure. I was the former commanding officer of the Bronx Cold Case Squad, so I dealt with all the old homicides uh, in the Bronx dating back decades. Okay. And then how long were you on uh, NYPD? I spent a little over 20 years in the New York City Police Department. I retired in 2012. All right. So the reason uh, I, I looked you up, I contacted uh, John Jay uh, School of Criminal Justice uh, down there in New York because we have this case uh, in Derby where a young man was shot and killed allegedly by Peter Manfredonia, who is a UConn student who's gone on to make national news, currently uh, on the run, last seen somewhere in uh, Pennsylvania in the East Stroudsburg uh, area. One thing that I noticed, and, uh, you know, I'm not trying to play junior detective, but two days in a row we had on Monday a lawyer for the family come out and say, basically, Peter, your family loves and supports you. Please turn yourself in. And then yesterday, a high-ranking lieutenant with state police here in Connecticut uh, addressed the media, didn't take questions, but had a similar message. Said, Is this purposely being done? What is the goal of sort of giving him these positive messages of support, it seems, uh, through the media? Well, it's these messages are kind of twofold. So the, the first aspect of it is they don't want him to harm anybody else, and he's already shown that, that uh, you know, that he's willing to take lives maybe for absolutely no reason. So that's, that's the first part of the message. And the second part of the message is that, unfortunately, there's a lot of times these things don't end well, meaning that the person who's on the run ends up taking their own life. So they're trying to reach him on a couple of different levels. The only problem about reaching him out on television is that if he is on the run going through the woods of Pennsylvania and what have you, there's a zero chance of him, you know, seeing a television. Now, unless they think that he might be held up with a family member, that could be something totally different. But right now, um, I think the messages are just kind of falling on deaf ears, so to speak. And do you think, one thing that I was, and this is total speculation on my part, but he could have some type of cellular device or access to the internet. All, for all we know, he's hiding in a, in a house somewhere with a complete stranger, as he did up in Willington, allegedly, uh, held a man against his will for almost two days before arriving here in my city of Derby. And, and he didn't hurt the person, apparently, uh, in Willington. Uh, I mean, obviously, there must be uh, lots of aspects of this case that we don't know uh, at this point. Is that true? Well, certainly, yeah. You're never going to hear what law enforcement actually knows on there because they don't want to spook him and they don't want somebody who might be helping him to find out what's happening, too. So there's three things that I refer to as what they call the forensic horseman of the criminal investigations these days that help track this guy down. It's cell phone records, internet records, and video surveillance. So we already saw the video surveillance play a big role in this, that they think they captured him in Pennsylvania with the, uh, the video camera. So, uh, you know, if, if, you know, from a former law enforcement you know, perspective, I'd be looking for places that had um, recently stolen cars in around that area or any uh, carjackings and, uh, you know, to try to piece it together from there because he's going to have to get to somewhere else other than on foot. So especially if he is watching the, the Internet or on, you know, the, the television, 
he knows that they know that he was in Stroudsburg, so he needs to get out of there real quick. And then in terms of how police officers are trained to deal with situations like this, and we do know the FBI uh, is involved. They don't speak publicly, in my experience, or it's rare if they actually speak uh, uh, to to the press about what they're doing. But this tactic of uh, using the media to send uh, the suspect uh, sort of positive messages uh, telling him he's supported by his family still uh, and to give up. Is that a sort of a basic FBI technique 101 that we're seeing? Well, it, it may be, but it's it's just right now the television and the, and the social media is the, is the best way to get the message out there. And if you want to get that message out there quickly, there's no better way to do that than through social media, whether it's a Facebook Live or using Periscope on Twitter or what have you. I, these are great tools for law enforcement. And and uh, quite frankly, I don't think they use them enough in, in respect to not only cases like this, but other cases as well, like missing persons and, and, and the like. So uh, I'm glad to see that they're in, embracing this technology and using it. And, you know, uh, this is where they're reaching out for a network of people out there, reporters and, and, and bloggers and everybody else who's out there to, to see if they can drum up some information on this kid. And, and, and the fact that they're, they're sending these positive messages, uh, is there any, in your experience or, or, or in your reading or, or studies, uh, does it have an impact on an actual suspect? And we have this person going around, he's got a history of mental health problems, uh, 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 brutal, uh, brutal uh, actions that he's allegedly undertaken since Friday. Does it reach him? Does it, is there any experience where a message, because the message was so positive, do, do, can it play an impact on, on what's happening in his mind where he, he could make the turn and just turn himself in based on these messages that are being sent to him? Well, that, that's the hope. And but what I always say that hope is not a plan for law enforcement. So they have to do as much as they can. And this is a technique of, uh, you know, hot negotiation, so to speak, you know, because of the fact that you, you don't want to ever anger the person. I mean, that only happens in television movies, right? Where the, where the cop is, uh, you know, mouthing off to the guy and telling him he's worthless and everything else like that that's happening. That, that doesn't happen in the real world because you want to make sure you want to try to get to uh, if the person is mentally ill or what have you, that there might be a, a glimmer of hope that you can contact that part of him that, uh, you know, is reasonable and and objectionable and will come out and, and just give himself up or just not hurt anybody else. And then in terms of just, and this is will be my last question, in terms of social media, a lot of misinformation out there as well. Is that something, uh, you're you retired a couple of years now, but is that something you see as an impediment to law enforcement? It does, because as the tip lines start flooding down with tips that uh, don't mean much, the, uh, you know, the police and resources have to go out and vet all that information. So, yes, I mean, as, as all the good that social media can do to get the information out there, there's a lot of bad that it could also do, too, in respect that it just can tie down a police department, especially in a high-profile pro case, such as this. Uh, but one thing I, I've been encouraging police departments across the country, uh, and I've done a number of interviews on this, is that they need to get out there and control the narrative too. So when the police departments don't or use the standard, you know, no comment at this time and this and that, that's when people start filling in those gaps and the speculation starts. Mm -hmm. I know you can't give out a lot of information in investigations. I totally understand that, but Police departments also need to be a little more transparent and forthcoming with some information that they do have, uh, because then that can prevent a lot of this kind of behavior. Right. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. 
All right, uh, Sergeant, is there anything else you wanted to uh, add maybe that I uh, haven't brought up or something you want to stress about what's happening with this case? Well, it's, it isn't the first time, of course, we've seen something like this, but uh, the information that we have out there, we just hope that uh, this gentleman does not injure anybody else uh, from here on and just either gives himself up or, or we don't know what's going to happen just next. <laughs>